Definitely awesome. So <laughs> this is Ryan Pale, everyone. Thanks. That's right. <laughs> You're right, Tyler. I am awesome. I'm glad that more people are starting to notice that. Um, okay, here's the thing. I'm not an obsessive guy, but really, I'm, my brain cannot get off the game last night. So I could use some prayer. Like last night when I was um, preparing for the for this. Sorry, I should. I was, I was prepared like a week ago. <laughs> last night when I was practicing uh, the talk uh, and writing it out on paper, um, I was tempted constantly with this with Dave South's voice just beckoning me to listen to the game constantly. And so I um, I'm I'm ashamed to admit that I. Um, I fell into temptation and I listened to the game several times. And the problem with that is if you, um, if you're trying to be in a very holy place being transformed by scripture, but then you're also listening to six turnovers, uh, it doesn't really compute very well. And so if you hear me, I was writing the sermon. So if you hear me just randomly pop in there and say, come on, no more fumbles. Uh, you'll know why I'm doing that this morning. So it won't be that random. Uh, but anyways, yes, my name is, uh, my name is Ryan. Uh, Tyler was right on there. So good job. Um, I do a ministry called uh, I do a ministry called Youth Impact. It is uh, it's changed my life. If you want to hear more about it, um, talk to one of those people that you heard whooping, or talk to me about it. It's been an amazing ministry and something beautiful to be a part of. Um, yeah, so here I am. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to stand here. Um, one of the things that I really love about the setting that I'm in right now, and by the setting I mean College Station, being in a college town, it's wonderful. I love college towns in general, but I love college towns during an election year. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. And here's why, because I, uh, I, I'm prone to sit back, listen, and mock, and I have that in me, and that's being refined, so let's not worry about it. But um, So what I'll do is I'll hear the way people are um, talking about politics, and you can totally hear, um, you've got one group over here that's, uh, and they're all, and you know, even believers, so you have one group over here that's uh, talking about politics, and they're talking about the issues, and they're passionate about it, but they're really just regurgitating either what their family told them, what they grew up believing, or what they heard Rush Limbaugh say or what they heard on CNN. And so they're just completely regurgitating but impassioned. And so I, because I'm a, not the most mature person in the world, I kind of push back a little bit, just kind of poke a little bit and then giggle as I watch them oh, um, fumble. So, um, so you have this group of people that are just sort of regurgitating information. But then you have the people over here. These are the people who... Whenever we think about the issues, whatever's being debated in that election year, you have the people who have actually been transformed by the issues. You have uh, the soldiers that have fought in Iraq you have, uh, uh, or Afghanistan. You have the people who don't have a job, who've been laid off, who don't have uh, medical insurance, who've dealt with abortion. Whatever the issues are being debated, you have people who have been transformed by it because of that situation. And then when I and my immaturity come and poke a little bit. Ooh, I ignite a fire. It's like stirring a hornet's nest with these people over here. I sit back and giggle when I poke with these people and I really ignite something. I wet my pants because they are like coming at me and they're like, Oh, let me tell you about healthcare reform. Let me tell you about whatever the issue is. They have been transformed by something and it is their passion to share it. And they, and they do so with conviction and with power. And you believe what they say. What we're going to read about this morning in Acts 8 is somebody who's been so transformed by the gospel that whenever he is poked a little bit, he comes, it just comes out. It's part of who he is. We're going to read this morning from uh, Acts chapter 8. Um, we're going to focus on the last half of the, uh, the last half of the section. We're going to begin in uh, verse 26, Acts 8, 26. I'll give you a moment to, uh, to turn there. 
as you're doing so, I'm just going to kind of lay out what's, uh, what's really going on up until this point. Um, essentially, what we're seeing is that the gospel is uh, started in Jerusalem, and now it's starting to kind of flutter on to, uh, to various parts of the region. And so the gospel is being preached in Samaria, and all kinds of amazing things are happening. And, and in the first part of chapter 8, people are uh, being converted. They're trusting in Christ, and there's something about a magician who believes, and he gets rebuked, and his motives are, are made aware. But you see in the midst of it... Philip is, uh, is doing ministry. So that's where we're going to begin. I'm going to read chapter eight, verses 26 through 36. It says, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join his chariot. And then Philip ran up and he heard him reading the Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture which he is reading was this, Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please, I got to know, tell me of whom is the prophet saying this of himself or someone else. And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached, preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Ah, Lord, we give thanks to you for your word. Thank you so much for the way that we have been transformed by it. Thank you, Lord, that you have met us in very significant places in our lives and you have introduced us to the gospel and the reconciling work of Christ. Thank you so much that we sit here as a, um, as a product of the gospel. Thank you so much. Lord, thank you for the story which we read about. Please allow us to truly understand what's going on and what you're doing in this world and how we get to take part in it. We ask, Lord, that you would allow us to meditate on that which you want us to meditate on. And please allow me to uh, make your word clear during this time and fill me with your spirit. I ask, beg you to do that. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, one of the tricky things about um, preaching through Acts, I'm sure uh, Trey has uh, gone over this as y'all have gone through Acts, but Acts is a little bit different from some of the other books of the Bible that we go through. So when you think about um, Ephesians or, or Colossians or Romans or something like that, it's, it's basically a letter and it's saying, do this and this is what church is going to look like and do this and this and this and this and they kind of lay out an epistle about how to do things. And so the way we approach that is whether we're studying it or whether we're teaching it is we say, okay, here's a verse, study, study, study. How does this fit in with how do these sentences set up and who's Paul talking about? And so we can kind of investigate and look at what really is going on in the passage. And we do a lot of sort of intentional categorizing. Um, And that's just the way it's set up. And that's great. But when you come to a book like Acts, Acts is just telling a story. There's a huge transition going on. Christ has died and is risen and we're transitioning from Judaism to the church and, and it's a hard transition going on. And so what the spirit has done is the spirit has, has given us these stories to show us what that transition is looking like. But the hard thing about these stories is the story was written almost 2000 years ago in a completely different culture 
completely different set of values and a completely different set of assumptions that they are telling the story from. And we, growing up as 21st century American Christians who are not persecuted, when we approach the story, a lot is lost on it. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to focus on the story. I want to kind of expose some of the assumptions that we bring to the table and some of the ones that the characters of our story bring to the table. I just want it to be clear. And I think that we can relate to all the characters that we read about in this particular story. The best way that I could see um, doing that was I wanted to focus on three different characters. There are three characters that we're introduced to in this story. The first one is Philip. The second one is the eunuch from Ethiopia. And then finally, the last one is uh, God. So let's meet Philip. What do we know about Philip? And this is all very beautifully relevant to the story. Who is Philip? Well, if you remember last week, Trey was uh, reading out of, out of Acts chapter six. And this is where we kind of first meet Philip. In Acts 6, verse 3, it says, if you remember, there was uh, some, some kind of drama going on in the church. There was tension. There was, there was two different people, who uh, people groups who didn't really, they, they were really clashing. They didn't get along well. And then there was some stuff going on that just kind of exacerbated the situation. And tension was mounting and things were fixing to get bad. And the leadership of that church identifying that, they said, we've got to deal with this drama that's going on right now, but we also have to continue preaching the word. And how are we going to do this? So they delegated that out to men among the church. And this is the type of men that they delegated to six verse three. They said, therefore, brethren, select among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task, the task of dealing with people. Um, And this is what we know about Philip based on this verse. He was a person of good, of a good reputation, and I want to, one of the things I just want to clarify is good is such a bland word. And my son, my son, Davis, he's five. Um, he's a little artist and I love it. One of the best things about being a daddy is you get to come home and you hear daddy, 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 hopefully daddy, 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 and come and give you. And then Davis comes and he hands me this picture of a stick figure. And he's like, daddy, I drew you. And so I look at it and I can respond. I can use the same word, but mean two different things. If I'm like, buddy, that is so good. Thank you so much for painting this. You use these colors. And I love the way that the, the little stick figure, I have four fingers on this hand and eight fingers on this hand. I, this is such a good picture. So that would, be, that would be one way to use the word good. The other way to use the word good would be if he brings a stick figure to me. I'm like, hey, buddy, that's, I mean, that's good. That's good. It's a good try. So, so I mean, I'm using the same word, but I mean two completely different things. So good is a completely, it really has become such a bland word, but it's very important when you look at this passage and it's very important as you get to know Philip. And here's why this word good, when it talks about a man of good reputation, it means this, it's the same word that they use to mean a martyr. It's used to talk about Stephen. It's used to talk about somebody who bears witness, who testifies to the goodness of God. Their very life shows exactly what they believe. Their life is the best apologetic for their God, and they bring light into the world. Philip was a person of good reputation. He daily, consistently lived out his faith among the people. He was a man of good reputation. Furthermore, it says that he was filled with wisdom and of the spirit. And we're going to see how this comes out. I want to read a few passages out of chapter eight, uh, just to see Philip's character here. It says, as a reminder, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up 
and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And then we'll skip a little bit. It says, then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join his chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading the prophet, Isaiah, the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And then further on, it says that he began with this passage and he began to preach Christ. He was full of the spirit and wisdom. Let's think about this for just a moment. There is revival going on in Samaria. People are trusting Christ right and left. His ministry is rich and it is amazing. And while he's in the middle of this, the spirit says, leave. See what logic and experience and everything would say, stay there. You're building something great. Stay, stick with it. You need to continue the work that God has entrusted to you. But no, he's since the spirit's leading, an angel of the Lord comes in and says, leave This is ridiculous. Like who does that? Even in our modern age, who builds a huge ministry and sees a thriving ministry and then just bolts. In fact, the only, as I was thinking about this, the only person in recent time that I can remember doing this is Francis Chan, who has this amazing church going on and he left. And do you remember how people responded? They said, you're out of your mind. Other pastors and teachers says, you're out of your mind. Why are you doing this? You have this great ministry. And what I would say is part of Philip being filled with the spirit and wisdom is he can look at the situation and even in the midst of what, where he's moving and, and as he's moving along, he can still pause and listen to the voice of the spirit. When amazing things are going on, he listens to the voice of the spirit and he knows it well. Philip is the type of the person where when it says an angel Lord says, get up and go, leave in a powerful ministry and go to a dirt road. It says he got up and went. Or when the spirit says to Philip, go up and join his chariot, Philip runs up and hears Isaiah, the prophet. It should come as no surprise that this guy's going to hop into a cart with a random um, Ethiopian eunuch and start preaching Christ. This shouldn't surprise us on any level. I'll tell you what didn't happen as he preaches Christ to somebody else. You don't hear Philip going to his accountability partner and saying, man, I have a heart for Ethiopian eunuchs. I just want to share Christ with them. Bro, next time we get together, can you ask me if I've shared my faith with an Ethiopian eunuch? That's not Philip's approach to ministry, nor does he leave a Bible study all inspired. We're talking about the great commission. He's like, okay, I want to share Christ with the next person that crosses my path. I just got to psych myself up and, and, uh, overcome my fear and, and, and then move forward and share Christ. And then, so I'm, I approach a person. I see somebody, okay, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Okay. I'm doing it. And then, and then he goes, this is not the way Philip operates. There are times, yes, when those are absolutely true. And that's sometimes what we need to, to just take the initiative with another person. And that's, that's all good and well, but what I want to focus on is the way Philip did it. Philip had a formation of character developed in him. Philip was a man of good reputation where it shouldn't surprise us at all that he was going to be a person that was going to intentionally share Christ with a random person. Philip had developed a character. This is huge. This wasn't just a a shot of Holy Spirit that he acts on. This is something that's been developing over the course of his ministry. N.T. Wright talks about uh, this, this concept of the formation of character, and he, he uses a beautiful illustration. He, looks, he says, look, whenever you think of courage, sometimes what we think of is, is some dude painted with a blue face on the battlefield, and he's fixing to go out, and he's uh, fixing to just slay people, and so he throws back some whiskey or mead or whatever, and he throws his sword out, and he's screaming and slashing people and, and just killing people right and left. That's not courage. That's insanity. 
No, instead, but I love brave hearts, so I'm going to call it God courage. Um, so, um, no, but he says, that's, insan- that's insanity. He, said, he says, no, this is what courage is. Courage is daily making decisions to put others above yourself. And he uses the illustration of um, the airplane a couple years ago who leaves LaGuardia Airport. And uh, as he's kind of hovering above New York City, the captain of the plane smells cooked goose. And when you're in a cockpit above the city, you do not want to smell smell cooked goose because what that means is you just ran into a flock of Canadian geese. And it means that your engine is fixing to go down. And that's exactly what happened as Captain Soli is up in the air. And and so he's kind of hovering above air. His engines have completely um, shut down because of this. And so he's kind of looking, okay, I can land this thing. There's no airports around. Can't land it in the Bronx. Um, I'm not going to go to Jersey because who wants to go to Jersey? And so let's go the... um, Although there are parts of Jersey that are great. Um, and I, I, um, I'm not going to land in these places. I've got, okay, here's the Hudson River. It's January. And so what he does is he accesses the skills that he's developed for 30 years as a pilot. He knows which buttons to push. He knows how to stay calm. He knows how to glide an airplane. This stuff has been formed in him so that when the moment comes, he knows how to glide the plane into a river very calmly. And he saves hundreds of people's lives. This is part of who Sully was and then this is crazy. This is just like, okay, you're already a champ if you do something like that. He's walking down the aisle afterward and somebody was cold. He literally gives the shirt off of his back <laughs> to help somebody who is cold. Like he takes off his shirt and gives it to somebody who is freezing to death. And he's walking down the aisle shirtless. I'm like, how baller is that? That you can just do something. That's crazy. Um, so, but anyways, then when they're interviewing pilots afterward, they're interviewing pilots and the pilots are like, yes, of course, if you're going down in an airplane, you went solely at the helm because he's the type of person that's going to do exactly what he did. And that's exactly where Philip is as he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. He's the type of person who has a character formed where evangelism isn't so much get a shot of the Holy Spirit and go and overcome your fear and go. He's the type of person who it's a very natural expression of who he is. And so for you and I, when we're thinking about sharing our faith, telling other people about what it is that we believe, a lot of times what shuts us down, we think is that it's a fear of people. Well, you know, if I, if I go and I talk to somebody about my faith, they're going to think I'm a weirdo or I'm going to offend them or I don't want to be lumped in with some of the other Christian crazies that are out there. And we think that that's the issue, but I would argue far more often, it's not so much our fear of people, it's our apathy. It's the fact that we aren't well in tune with the continuing redemptive work of God in Christ in our lives. Yes, we believe on him. And I think sometimes what I think is that a lot of times we believe in Christ for the justification of our sins and and then we clean ourselves up morally. But no, to be daily transformed by the power of the gospel means the way that I see people, the way that I see government, the way I see church, the way I see my schoolwork, my job, my family, everything is transformed daily because of what Christ is doing in me. And then when I have the ability to see that and to look at the world around me through that lens, through a gospel lens, then the thought of approaching somebody else with the love of Christ, inspired by the, by the love of Christ and what he's doing in me, I approach them much differently. I'm no longer trying to set up an equation for if you believe this and then this and then this, you, it equals heaven. I'm more approaching them from the fact of God wants to redeem you. He's redeeming me day by day by day. And you need to take part 
And that's the heart from which Philip is operating as he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. And so this begs the question for all of us, are we in tune with that? Like we understand that we're believers and we understand that there's some moral obligations that come with that. But do we really understand the daily work that's being done in all of our lives And I got to say, for some of us, the greatest thing that you can do, we're going to respond in worship later on after the talk. But as you respond in worship, just sync yourself with God and and think about the daily work that he's doing in you. Next character of this wonderful story is the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, here's the deal. He's not Ethiopian. He's, uh, he's from Africa. He's part of this beautiful, glorious Nubian empire. And, and, uh, and it's, it's uh, amazing. And he's made this trek all the way up here. And, um, but he is a eunuch. Now, here's the thing. I know that not everybody here knows what a eunuch is. And I'll just tell you that the hardest part of this entire talk was not so much how God was slapping me in the face, but it was more trying to articulate what a eunuch is on a Sunday morning in a mixed gender audience when I'm being recorded. So I'm going to give it a try. A eunuch simply is somebody is a male who intentionally is neutered. And so at the time uh, in the, in the ancient Near East, uh, um, this is kind of common. We hear that and we're like, oh my gosh, it's ridiculous. And yes, it is. <laughs> but here's what happened. Here's how he got there was he um, basically at that time in many cultures, the higher you rose in different ranks, the less you were trusted. Okay. So like if you rose in a, in a religious system and a lot of times the way that people worshiped in the temple was through sex. And so if you, the clergy at that time were entrusted with temple prostitutes. And so we got to neuter those guys because we don't trust them. Okay. So that was the religious side and the uh, more what the eunuch is going through is he's risen through the royal sort of line. He's, he's gone up the hierarchy, the chain. He's in charge of the treasury we read about. And so we don't trust him because we don't want him to steal our money. We don't want him to take over the empire. We don't want him to do any of that stuff. And so what they see is they want to take away any gumption that he has and they want to control him. They want to be able to trust him. So in the same way that we do with dogs or cats or horses or anything, we want to trust the male, but we can't. And so what they did was they, they neutered him. And that, and that was part of the practice of the day. So let's read, we're going back to chapter eight and we're going to read about the eunuch beginning in um, 27. It says there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and he was returning from Jerusalem and sitting in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah and then Philip comes up to him and sits in his chariot. And, and uh, in verse 31, uh, Philip had just asked him, do you have any idea what you're reading? And, and probably just like most of us are when we read the Old Testament, we're like, I have no idea what I'm reading about. Can you please help me with that? And so Philip says, oh, yes, I will, sir, because that's who Philip was. It says in verse 32, now the passage of scripture, which he was reading was this. Isaiah 53, he was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth in humiliation. His judgment was taken away. Who will relate this gener- his generation for his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and he says, please, I've got to know who is the prophet saying or talking about is the prophet talking about himself or somebody else. Okay. Let's talk about the eunuch now. Let's talk about where he is. Remember, he is just, okay, one, he's a foreigner. That's crucial to understanding this. And two, he's a eunuch. Again, crucial to understanding his role in the story. He has just gone from the Nubian empire in Africa, and he's gone all the way up to Jerusalem to worship. 
he has, um, he's probably a God fear. Here's a God fear is basically somebody who is um, intrigued by, curious by, on some level participates in worshiping the God of Israel, Yahweh. But as we read about in Deuteronomy 23.1, that spells out what the worship service looks like for Jerusalem. In Deuteronomy 23, it says, for the eunuch and for the foreigner, you are not allowed to come fully into the assembly of God because of who you are and where you come from. You cannot come in and do worship the way the people of God can do worship. There is separation there. I mean, think about this. Think about if we in here, even in this room, if we said, okay, only believers in Christ can come in here and to worship with us and be part of this worship experience. But if you are not a believer, we're going to open those blinds up and you can stand on the outside. You can look in and you can hear Tyler's wonderful music and you can see people praising God and you can hear the message and you can even read your Bible, but you got to do it out there because you are not one of us. Now, at the time, they didn't have um, this sort of, well, we should have just as much of a right to go in as you do. They didn't necessarily have that going on, but this is what you should know. He knew very well what separation from God looked like. He had just been given a wonderful visual of the fact that he was separated because of what he was and, and what he had done. He knew very well the separation of himself from God, very tangibly. He's coming back from that worship setting and he's reading the book of Isaiah and he's reading Isaiah 53. And this is where just beautiful things happen. He's reading about the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. In addition to what it, what it talks about here in, in um, chapter eight of Acts, Isaiah 53, it says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging, we are healed. This is what Isaiah 53 is about. This is about the sins of all the people, all the unrighteousness that was going on in Israel needed the punishment of God and it was going to fall on somebody. And so the eunuch was reading this and he's like, oh my gosh, who's this verse talking about? You know, you and I read that and we're like, well, he's talking about Jesus. Clearly, if you're the eunuch, you're saying, who's going to sign up for that job? The sins of the people falling on one person, the punishment of God falling on that one person. Who is this talking about? the prophet or somebody else. And you can just see Philip, he leaps with joy. And he said, oh my gosh, no, no, no. I'll tell you who this is about. This is about Jesus. It just happened. Jesus just died. And he just took the punishment, not only of the people's sins, but of yours and my sins. He just took away all that separated us from God. It just happened. And that's why I'm sitting here in this cart with you. I'm here to declare to you that yes, it has come. The suffering servant has come already. And we don't need to wait for him anymore. Can you imagine the power of that, the understanding of that? And then it says uh, in, in Acts 8, it says, beginning with this passage, he began to preach Christ. And this is where Philip was going. The very next chapter says this, Isaiah 54, shout for joy, O barren one. You who have borne no child, break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. You who have not travailed because the suffering servant came in Isaiah 53. Therefore, shout for joy. Even when things are going tremendously wrong for you, even when you are barren, shout for joy. The suffering servant has come and then he moves forward into Isaiah 55. Everyone who thirsts, 
come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. See, once the suffering servant has come, a new kingdom is coming up and it's here. And he's coming. He's telling you this is accessible to us now. And then you can kind of see that crescendo. And then he takes it home. He takes it home with the eunuch. And he said, he says in Isaiah 56, listen, eunuch, because the suffering servant has come, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant to them. I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, which will not be cut off. Can you imagine the eunuch leaves worship in Israel where he's separated and he's reading about the suffering servant. And Philip says the suffering servant has come so that you can be brought back into full worship of God. You know what that eunuch must've been feeling. He was an outsider. He was excluded. And now he's been brought into the best family the world has ever known. Can you imagine? And this is what leaps out to me as I, as I read about what happened in the eunuch's life and about the redemption of God, it begs the question to me, do I know the people around me? Do I understand, yes, that we all need redemption and, I, and, and we all need um, forgiveness of our sins and, and, the, and that Christ has done that. But I, do I understand in what ways the people around me need redemption, need the hope of the gospel in their lives? Do I know others well enough to where I can be in tune with their needs and I see that the gospel is what meets those needs? Do I know people well? Have I invested myself in them? And do I know how the scriptures and the gospel intersect in the lives of people? That's the question that we have to wrestle with. Do we know how to do this? Share the gospel out of an overflow of our character. And then do we know how to intersect into other people? The last one, the last character is God. And it makes sense we're in church. So, I mean, God. He's our last character. Oh, but he is amazing in this. He doesn't get a whole lot of airtime in this. It talks about the spirit of the Lord and, and all that good stuff. But man, God is the director. He is orchestrating a very beautiful thing right now. He does it on a kind of on a local scale, a sort of day-to-day in our life scale. And here's what I mean by that is you have Philip who has amazing ministry going on up here. And then in the midst of amazing ministry, God says, go to a dirt road. And so he goes, and then you have the eunuch who's in Africa and he loves God on some level. So he goes up to Jerusalem to worship and he experiences separation. And then he is coming back on his way. And then he's on the same dirt road that Philip is on. And then the spirit tells Philip again, Hey, go jump in his cart, be intentional with him. And so God is directing all these players to converge on this moment. And let me tell you what happens in this moment, in this convergence on a dirt road in Gaza. What happens there is the gospel starts there and is proclaimed in Africa, is brought to Africa because of that one moment, the way the Lord has orchestrated steps very intentionally. Now, here's what I love about that, aside from the obvious. As I'm reading that passage, I have to think to myself, What if, as I'm going about my day, what if the Lord has specifically, specifically directed people to cross my path? What if I am on a dirt road and he has directed certain people to come to me for something? 
And what if I could view people out of that intentionality where I could say people are around me for a reason and I'm just going to tell you that's the way it goes down. If you are a disciple of Christ, a light in this world, that's the way it is. The people you, are, you encounter, this is why it talks about loving your neighbor, just loving the people around you. Understand that the people are in your life because God wants to do something to you and through you to other people. What's that look like? How does that change our life when we understand that the person that cuts us off, when we understand our, our waiter who takes too long or, or, or botches, our, botches our order or with a parent or with a sibling or with a roommate who doesn't do dishes? What does it look like for those people who are in my life for me to have the intentionality that says you are in my life? God put you in my life because he wants to do something grand. The second thing that I love about this story and that, that God is the director on a, on a local scale is, um, you know, I think we all have the, the questions of, well, what about the African uh, kid that, that didn't have a chance to believe in the gospel? What, what happens to them? And, and, that's a, and that's a great question. But what I know based on this story about the character of God is that God responds and God provides. You see the eunuch, what's the African kid who wanted to know God more? And what did God do? Leave him in Africa? No, God directed him and God directed people to come into his life. Look, God provides. He finds crazy ways to do it, but that's part of who he is. He provides a message. And that's what I know about God as it, as it relates to that. So we have God on a local, on a very local level is, uh, it's directing our steps globally. This is, gives me great hope. And I'm going to share specifically how in a little bit in Acts 1, 8, we see one of the last things that Christ says is he says, the spirit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Oh man, this is what God is doing in Acts. This is the theme that runs all the way through Acts and it sets a trajectory for what God is still doing. And what I really, really love about this is I, I put myself in the, in the mindset of the readers. The first people who were probably reading the book of Acts, let's think about this. They were Christians, most likely they're reading the book of Acts and the destruction of the temple is, has either just happened or is fixing to happen. The seminal presence, the quintessential presence of God among his people has just been destroyed I'm being told that God is working towards some sort of redemption. I'm being told that the, I'm being told seeing O barren woman and come to the water, you who thirst. I'm being told all these things about what happens when I come into the family of God. But yet I am seeing persecution and I'm seeing the temple destroyed. I'm seeing the presence of God raised to the ground. How do I make sense of that? Well, I make sense of it using Acts 8 and seeing where he's going and seeing the way the gospel is going from Samaria to Ethiopia and, um, and then to the ends of the earth because I understand regardless of what is going on around me, regardless of what I'm seeing, regardless of what's, what I'm experiencing, there's a great story that God is writing right now and he simply calls me to take part in that story and so the successes and the failures that I have are, are significant, yes, but, but they're part of a, a, a greater work that's going on. And I'm merely to be caught up in it. And that provides me such great hope. It, it reminds me that I am significant, but I am so insignificant. It reminds me that the, uh, the issues that, that we have in relationships or with school or with work or, or any, any of that stuff are significant, but they are so insignificant. They're only significant insofar as it takes us up into the story of what God is doing with this world. It gives us a greater hope to be part of something like that. Now, I want to share with y'all a little bit about how 
the Lord has dealt with me in this. And, and this has been a, a really neat thing. And I think it's a daily task um, for me. I have, uh, for, the, for the past, uh, I'd probably say a couple of weeks, um, and I've shared this with a few people, but um, for the past several weeks, I have, uh, um, I've been a little bit overwhelmed with a lot of things going on in my life, just a um, lot, lot of stuff like work and school and family and, you know, wanting to do all of these things very, very well because we're called to do things with excellence. So as I'm doing these things, you know, you have one person that's going to be like leading the charge, like I'll get it done and let me set my calendar and I don't care what it takes for getting this done. I'm just going to tell you, I'm far too lazy for that. I'm going to be like, when I get overwhelmed, I'm going to be like, I wonder what's on tech sags and, and listening to Kevin Sumlin talk about the game. Um, I'm going to withdraw and a, a little bit and just kind of let the, let things pile up. And then what I do in my tendencies is then I just complain about what all I have going on. I, I love pity parties. There's so much in me that wants, wants people to join in and feel sorry for me. And uh, that's my tendency. That's where my flesh gravitates toward. And so as I read this passage and I see this beautiful work that's going on, that the Lord has called us all to take part in, I'm seeing that and I'm reminded that, the, that God has called me to a wonderful work, that as I am a dad and a husband and a minister and everything else that I do is caught up into a big story. That way I can operate out of an attitude of gratitude that I just get to take part instead of viewing it as all of these things that I have to do. I get to say, what a privilege that the, the Lord is using all of these things to lead this world into redemption. And I take great hope in that my failures my successes, all of them, when they're compared with that great thing, they're diminished. So what do we learn from these three characters? They all beg the question, and we can relate to uh, maybe one or all of them. Philip says, who are you? Is sharing the gospel part of your character, or is it something you just have to suck it up and do? Are you the type of person who not only preaches the gospel, but lives the gospel? The Ethiopian eunuch asks us, do we know where people are? Do we know where they are on their spiritual journey? Do we know what they need? And how can we bring the gospel to them in that place? And then finally, God says, do you trust me? Do you trust me to take part in the great scheme of history that I am directing? Our natural response to the scriptures right now is we're going we're gonna to worship. I think that's ultimately what God is calling us to is he's calling us to worship. Would y'all please uh, pray with me? Lord, we, we give you thanks for the hope that's found in, in your gospel. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, um, that through Christ we can be brought into relationship with you. And we thank you that we're not called just to be in relationship with you, but to express our relationship with you. We thank you so much for um, Philip's example to us. And we thank you so much that we can trust that you are directing our paths. We give thanks to you for all these things. Please um, lead our hearts in worship now and allow us to sing now out of a grateful heart. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.